Shalom, Shalom. This is Nava of Nava in the House of Sarah. So uh, as a part of establishing the, there are three mitzvot of, um, of Natsari Nashim, of Natsari womanhood. The first is family purity. Uh, the second is keeping of the Sabbath and the festival candles and the third is kosher food preparation and there are all um, lots of teachings underneath those three titles and those are the things that we as women of the Abrahamic faith of whether you call yourself uh, a Jew whether we call ourselves Messianic Hebrews um, these are really things when you when you looked in the scriptures um, these are the things that what that women were really responsible for and is actually very much traditional um, again you know regardless of what we call ourselves those of us who are walking in the according to the Torah path women are responsible for those three elements of the faith so I also, along with that, um, it's two things. I want to introduce a study that I did several years ago um, on, uh, as I call it, Netsari women preparing themselves and their families to enter into, into the land. And um, regardless of whether or not physical Jewish or Hebrew lineage, as the House of Israel, we all are endeavoring to make preparations to go home to Eretz Israel. And the second thing that I wanted to talk about is um, I have this is more towards those who may be listening um, on my House of Sarah Havura on Facebook. I had mentioned earlier that this particular teaching that I'm going to be doing was based on Balak. That is not correct. <laughs> this teaching is actually very much on point with this week's parasha, which is parasha Pinkas or Finihas. Okay, so anyway, it's a very good study on honing in on the foundational issues that faced our foremothers, uh, which prevented them from entering into the land. So we need to really look closely at what those inner evils were and how we as modern day Jewish or Israelite women can circumvent that from happening in our lives, in the lives of the um, community of women of Israel, and in the lives of our families. But it does begin with you. Will you continue the struggle of preparation like a wise virgin, or will you fall asleep and miss the call of your beloved to enter into the simcha of your bridegroom? So. Here we go. Parasha Phinehas begins in Shemot or Numbers chapter 25, verse 10 to chapter 29, verse 40. And it speaks to the camps of Israel today. If we heed the instructions of Hashem contained within we will inherit the land also if you would consider 
uh, Ezekiel chapter 20 and I am not going to take the time to read that but I would ask that you take the time along with the Parashah reading of this week if you would along along with that go, go on and read Ezekiel chapter 10, chapter 20 it bears witness to the conditions by which modern day Israel may make Aliyah and enter, enter into the land. Now the previous study which was Balak creates a continuum with today's study where we discovered that the spirit of Balaam had infiltrated Yahuwah's camp by means of the Moabite women enticing the men of sexual morality. This seduction of our forefathers occurred via the fact that they invited them um, to a banquet in honor of the Moabite gods. Now the scriptures speak that it teaches that the Moabite women and the men of Israel ate then they bowed down to these pagan gods and we find that in Numbers chapter 25 verses 1 through 3. Now although uh, the Pershot, Pershot, Balak and Phinehas deal with the sins of the Israelite men they seem to be silent but they, they play an integral part in solidification and the upkeep of the houses of Israel. The key is holiness or inner set-apartness. And using my marriage as a quick example here, my husband and I have been married for 22 years. We've had our ups, we've had our downs, um, but all, all in all, the core of us the core of who we are, a covenant, we have enjoyed, we pulled from a very rich, solid covenant of love on many different levels. Um, we have uh, observed family purity. Um, there's, we've built trust. There's mutual respect for the other's person and unique callings. And again, I'm not saying that it's ever easy because it's not, not at all. It's not easy living with that man. <laughs> he would say the same about me, I'm sure, in some regard. <laughs> anyway, there is still mutual respect for our unique callings. With the Father's power, we have created what I like to call a Goshen within, within our union. One of those inroads that we've paved and strive to maintain is open communication and with that open communication, a sensitivity to what the other is really saying. Now this, this alone, listening to each other with the heart and listening to not, not to retaliate, but to understand, it has poured out so many blessings of unity that looking at today's marriages, whether we're saying the Israelite Jewish marriages or even, well, Jewish marriages, are pretty solid from what I could see but in Christianity not too many people find that level of of true unity so one morning my husband and I were discussing this very parasha and the need for inner set-apartness and my husband so wisely stated the vitalness of holiness when no one is looking and that statement challenged me to consider the intense testing of our people in the wilderness Abba's severe mercies, for instance, when they, f when they fell, like the fiery serpents, 
um, in Exodus 21, 6, um, the incident at Peor in Exodus 25. And when we examine closely what we find within the individual heart are hearts of rebellion and self-idolatry, though they'd been through the purification of the wilderness for 40 years. And in fact, the first generation of Egyptians died. They didn't enter in. And although they were instructed to have faith in, in Hashem, in Yah, in order to become keepers of the land, to not murmur, to set themselves apart unto him, they were told to cleanse their hearts, their bodies, and their garments at different times with uh, physical water and also by the fact that they were wandering in the wilderness, which was a form of cleansing. These elements were designed by Yah Elohim to prove and to sanctify them uh, spirit, soul, and body in the fashion rock. They continue to be dogs returning to their vomit. So keeping ourselves as women of Israel in check, watching well over the ways of our households means that we must be on constant guard against the spirit of Balaam within our own hearts first, but also within our families and lastly within our spiritual communities. This spirit still runs rampant among the camps of Israel. So what is the spirit of Balaam? If you recall, Balaam, the prophet, was ready to curse Elohim's people, apparently for profit, illustrating the greed of false teachers who deceive and exploit for personal gain. The spirit of Balaam, therefore, is the spirit of false teaching, or we may call it syncretism or mixture of doctrine, coupled with greed, a strong desire for riches, and a lust to embrace compromising spirits to cleave to false teachings and that can take on any anything these days there's so much craziness these days in both the uh, uh, Israelite way um, as in in Christianity as well so these things are to uh, in order to gain the advantage whether it be for money or influence or, or what have you it's, it's rampant we as women are very influential and therefore we hold a very important role in ensuring that our conversation, our conduct, and our speech, especially when no one is looking, uh, maintaining integrity of heart. Um, it's uh, before one another and especially before our men and children to be set apart, to be bridled by the, by the set apart spirit according to every word of the Most High Elohim. Scripture teaches that we each are led away by our own lust when we're enticed to sin. Now, if we flip over to Webster's.com, and I've already I've gone here, the physical book, or I actually went to the website, Webster's.com, there are actually three definitions of lust. The first one says is intense sexual desire or appetite. The second is uncontrolled or illicit sexual desire or appetite or lecherousness. I hope I pronounced that correctly, lecherousness. The third is a passionate or overmastering desire or craving 
a lust for power. So lust defined is an overmastering desire or craving, an unusual desire for power. And that, that is the definition that we are focused on in this particular teaching, this particular uh, parasha. Yes, there was some intense sexual desire on the part of the um, uh, Israelite mentors and Moabite women. Uh, but I believe the overriding theme here, the motive of of uh, of Balaam, Balak Balaam, was the third definition, which was an overmastering desire, uh, lust for power. He wanted to control. He wanted to curse Israel. So, as in the sin of Shittim, though it manifests itself in in inordinate sexual desire, Israel's heart at its root lusted for self-gratification, self-idolatry, unbridled apostasy, ultimately Torahlessness. Now, have you questioned in reading this prayer, Shah, where were the wives of the Israelite men when, when these men went to the pagan banquet and they committed whoredom? Scripture doesn't say, but we do know that as a result of their sin, the camps were punished by Hashem by way of a plague which killed 24,000 with the hanging of the leaders of Israel in public coupled with uh, Phinehas passion toward the ways of, of Elohim Yahuwah is showing us that sin must be dealt with ruthlessly exposed quickly and with the passion of Elohim to hesitate is to allow the yeast to spread and spread quickly it will do we can gather too that the righteous demeanor of the Israelite women may and most more than more than probable must have been lacking as they also were included in the number of those killed in the plague that killed 14,700 due to their murmuring and complaining against Moshe and Aharon. And we find evidence of that in Shemot or in Exodus chapter 16, verse 41. Now, it was a duty of the Israelite men to prepare themselves, body, soul, and spirit, in order to enter the promised land. Their wives and children were also to be anointed and purified through the teachings and daily applications. The... The Hebrew rituals, rituals prescribed by, by Hashem's words, by Torah, is handed down by Moshe. The surrounding nations were so sophisticated in their perversions. So unless they were, our, our, our ancestors were wrapped and saturated by the covenant, by keeping it, they were no match for the spirits that prevailed amongst the Moabites. And at Balaam's suggestion, Balak sent out the most enticing beautiful women. These women offered foods that we can say were more than likely offered to idols in which probably due to the intoxicated uh, sinful state of the Israelite men at the time probably tasted better than anything they'd enjoyed within the tents <laughs> with their own wives. Um, the pleasures of sin are always heightened at that moment and and obviously is very pleasurable for a season but it does carry with it a cost that we don't count on, which is death, spiritual death, quickly followed by physical death. Because these checkpoints within the most intimate relationships, uh, man to himself first, man to his Elohim, man to his wife, 
had been glossed over, had not been set up as life to them, they lost the most important treasure, their lives. To hear and to obey consistently every moment of every day would have then and will today ensure blessings on every level for the Israelite or the Jewish home. The greatest attack of the enemies of Israel yesterday and today are nothing compared to the enemy within. The sins of idolatry and disobedience that lives within our own souls. Today, it takes the revelation of the of Hurak or the set apart spirit as we diligently study scripture and apply its principles to our lives to even begin to fathom the vileness of uncleanliness as as Yahweh does. The stain of uncleanliness was an offense against him and a violation of his will for his people Israel. And as long as the uncleanliness of death remained, as the wages of sin is death, it jeopardized Israel's relationship with Hashem, with Elohim. This still holds true for today. Uncleanliness, inward heart sin, inward heart attitudes with its outward manifestations is sin. And even in some uh, African tribes today, uh, I know of the, I know of two, the Akamba and the Gikuyu of Kenya. The sacrificial offerings are drawn from the Hebrew tribes like rites of passage and at the ceremony of purifying a village after an epidemic. And we find that in Leviticus chapter 19 verse 2. Being monotheistic, believing in the one true Elohim, they know as well that the spiritual roots of sacrifice unto Hashem, the giving up of a precious and prescribed offering is a perpetual link between man and the Most High. Ultimately, sisters, we have to get it straight if we want to go home, if we want to make it into the kingdom. He has told us and shown us many times for us not to be deceived, that he will not be mocked. Whatever we sow to our flesh and soul, we will reap many times over in our spirits and with our very lives. Our salvation being the costliest treasure to lose if we do not internalize, ingest his every word and seek to guard them, each and every one. And I'm afraid that even amongst the humblest of us is found the spirit of Laodicea, which means the people decide. These are those who say they are rich, having become wealthy and have need of nothing. But not realizing in truth, Yahweh sees them as wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. These are those who become acquainted with this Torah, some have head knowledge uh, they've had it for some time they they know to keep his Torah but they choose instead out of convenience to break his covenant this is lukewarmness toward him and he hates it it's nauseating and as we read in Revelation 3.16 he has promised to vomit anyone who's lukewarm out of his mouth sisters Nashim women Yeshua wants us either cold or hot. 
And we know that cold springs are refreshing. Hot mineral springs are medicinal. Lukewarm is nauseating. He counsels the lukewarm Israelite Jewish woman. If you're going to buy gold, buy gold which has been refined in the fire that you may be truly rich. And if you're going to purchase fine linen garments, buy white garments that you may be clothed that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. And if you're going to purchase beauty treatment for the eyes, buy and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may truly see. A little bit about Laodicea. Laodicea was known for being a banking center for the production. They would produce a glossy black wool, which they used in clothing and um, carpets. Uh, they produced a salve for the curing of eye disorders. And um, Israel today desperately needs the favor that regenerates the garments of Messiah's righteousness and Ruach illumined eyes of the heart. Hashem, Yahweh has given us statutes and he's shown us his judgments, which if a man does, he shall even live in them. He has instructed us not to walk after the statutes of our fathers, neither observe their judgments nor defile ourselves with their idols. Ezekiel 20 verse 18 but to walk in his statutes and judgments. And again, I ask sisters, please read Ezekiel 20 in its entirety. As women, specifically women of the covenants of Israel, we need to watch our hearts and make sure we don't go into the set-apart house of worship on a Shabbat and then turn our foot away from keeping it by doing our own pleasure. Father wants us to be rigidly righteous because he is rigidly righteous when it comes to his, his instructions. And even if our spouses are, you know, if you're married or um, an employer demands or requests that you, you violate his Shabbat, we're to, in Yahuwah, in Hashem, we are to respectfully remind them that we are to keep his ways if they persist in all we can them to Abba, asking for his key power and to make uh, the transgression right. But we must obey Elohim and not man in such cases. That is my, my judgment on, on a case of that matter. Your um, understanding may be different. Again, to the married women. Um, but not just to the married women, but if you are living uh, with a uh, male covering of any sort. Uh, but I will say, for the sake of this teaching, if you are an Isaiah Connecto, if you are a married woman, uh, which means uh, in the Hebrew, the one who sees the enemy, uh, we do daily offer sacrifices of prayer for our husbands. Uh, for whoever it is that may be a male covering. It's very, very important uh, because it helps them combat satanic forces in this world. Uh, it helps keep them strengthened when they're down and it encourages them when they're not on all eight throttles spiritually. 
Also, I want to briefly uh, say, uh, in, as a matter of order, our dress and conduct are to reflect who Elohim is, which is decency and modesty, orderliness and beauty, both in the presence of, of our companions and, and everywhere. We bring a curse upon ourselves, sisters, when we wear foreign apparel. And this isn't just for sisters, but for, for all. And it's specifically in uh, Zephaniah uh, chapter 1, verse 8, that speaks of that. We bring a curse upon ourselves when we do this. But also, you read Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 5, and 1 Peter or 1 Kepha chapter 3, verse 3. Our homes should also reflect Abba's presence and government within within our homes. Evidence of that is found in Titus 2, verses 4 and 5, Proverbs 31, 21. Um, it, you know, it should go without saying, but you never know who's listening to this teaching. And I think it, it's a good uh, reminder to us that when we these um, foundational things of like our you know, praying for those, for our male leadership, when we are uh, keeping ourselves decent and modesty in our, uh, our action, our conduct, as well as our dress, um, keeping our homes um, under the, under the uh, protection and government of ABBA, um, these are things that, you know, we all should be reminded of. It, it helps keep us all in check. Um, simple whole nutritious meals should be prepared on time um, gardens are very important and that's a whole nother teaching um, but I will go a little bit into this right now um, gardening right now with the times that we are in are very important um, I believe with these food shortages one of the things that the father is definitely speaking very clearly is uh, he's rebuking us, Israel, for our, our overly dependence on Babylon. And now many of us are, are, some of us are scrambling to figure out how to grow food. Some of us do not want to believe that this situation that we're finding ourselves in is really the beginning of Jacob's trouble. You know, many of us believe it'll be okay, things will return back to normal. Uh... No, things things are not going to return back to the normal that we have grown accustomed to. This is designed to be a wake-up call for the house of Israel. And practical, um, applicable uh, understanding on agriculture is paramount to your physical survival. Okay. Read Amos chapter 9, verse 14. Also Proverbs 24, 27. Learning storage principles should be learned and practiced as they are also a part of Torah. We, we, uh, we talk about keeping the Torah, but these things that I am mentioning are also very important for us to understand, to apply in our lives. Uh, I'm not going to give you every single scripture because there are numerous that I have listed here but along those lines of storage principles I will give you a few um, Jeremiah 524 Deuteronomy 11 13 through 15 also uh, 15 verse 14 uh, also 28 verses 1 through 8 
We also find evidence of storage principles in Leviticus 26.10, 25, 20-22, Genesis 41.36, also 41.56, Psalm 144.11-15, Proverbs, and here's one, um, Proverbs 6.6-8, which many of us know. It says, go to the ants, you sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise, which having no guide, overseer, or ruler, provides her meat in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. Some translations, translations say, ponder the ant. Also, um, it says also in Proverbs 6-8 in the Living Bible, says the ants labor hard all summer gathering food for the winter uh also proverbs 10 4 he becomes poor that deals with a slack hand also 10 5 he that gathers in summer is a wise son but he that sleeps in harvest is a son that causes shame uh 22 verse 3 which is also repeated in 27 12 a prudent man foresees the difficulties ahead and prepares for them the simpleton goes the simpleton goes blindly on and suffers the consequences and lastly uh, proverbs 28 29 he that tills his land shall have plenty of bread and that is repeated also in chapter 12 verse 11 we can see that the duties of the woman is not for the lazy and when I say lazy I am saying that I know how most of us here are diligent we're diligent in our homes even many if not most of us uh, work outside the home yet this idea is based on a system that we have grown accustomed to The system of ancient Israel was an agricultural system. Um, It was it was based upon the uh, uh, a tithing system on upon the uh, the the feast days, which you know were controlled by the it was a lunar Sabbath, a lunar solar calendar. So the system was totally different as far as how they worked, what type of work they did. not saying it was a perfect system, but it was very uh, gender specific. Women worked in the home. Um, some did have their um, cottage industries, and we see in, we see evidence of that even on into you look at the Amer- uh, American history into the Industrial Revolution, pre-Industrial Revolution. Women had cottage industries. You know, they would make, they would milk their goats. They would. Um, sell, uh, make their own uh, soaps and milks, uh, butters, and they would have farmer's market stands. They would sew. They would, they would sell their wares, whatever the case may be. The men worked out in the field. They plowed. They, you know, all types of things they built. Um, like I said, you see reflections. You see um, evidence of that even in our own American history. This is the way the father wanted it. Only when industrial revolution came is when the woman was enticed to leave the home. Um, and things literally have gone downhill ever since. The woman has lost her place. She's suffered. 
physically, emotionally, mentally, um, the man has, has grown accustomed uh, to this so-called equal rights. You know, the woman not only having the right to vote, but also to uh, work a job outside the home. And what seemed, appeared to be a blessing has now in so many cases become a curse. You know, we seemingly gained materially, but we've lost so much on so many other levels. And sisters, I am speaking from firsthand experience, firsthand knowledge here. When I am telling you, I have had to repent so many times over. And I've done my research. I pray, and the Father has shown me a more excellent way. He has brought me back to Hadarek HaTorah, the ancient paths, where I am a keeper at home, where I do guide my house, where I am striving every day to be a Titus II woman under all types of circumstances. Finances have been extremely difficult for us. And even today, we by no means are a rich family, but... As we've continued to pray, as we've continued to walk humbly before Elohim um, and been obedient to him, he has uh, downsized our lives. We have left, uh, we left our, um, our suburban home and lifestyle back in Virginia. We're now finding ourselves deeply uh, involved in, a, in, a, in an agricultural community. Uh, there are a total of 12 of us here on 13 acres of land, and we have learned, have been studying and learning over the years, uh, uh, gardening, uh, animal husbandry, building, all types of homesteading skills, and we have found ourselves right smack dab in the middle of the times of our ancient forefathers and foremothers as far as how they um lived and worked and, and prospered as a community. And I would say unapologetically, without blinking an eye, this, my sisters, is where the Father would have you in that type of setting. Not living in the suburbs, not living in, in an apartment in the cities. That is the last place you need to be right now. And that's what I am drawing with this uh, Parashat Finihas. I know it seemed like a a sideways of um, of dealing with this particular par- parasha, but it's it was on my heart, and the father opened my eyes and showed me why the people of that day were not prospering. They were not prospering because they were because of inner attitudes and um, self idolatry and uh, just not truly humbling themselves and hearing what Haruak was saying and walking in obedience is why they were where they were and ultimately is why we are where we are. We have to humble ourselves. We have to stop listening to our own selves. Stop listening to what everyone else is saying. Read the Torah for ourselves and ask the Father to give us his heart to put us right back into that place where he wants us, and physically speaking, looking at the world that we're looking at, he wants us to learn how to survive, how to begin implementing these, these uh, things that I've been talking to you about. It's right there in Torah. It's right there in Torah. So anyway, um, 
moving on. I'm I'm just about done. Um, it was the whole house of Israel that fell under the plagues. The man for not doing his part, the woman for not doing her part. It was due to our collective disobedience that caused us to be vomited out of his land and is why we're here today, to be pleaded with by our husband, Yeshua, to re-enter back into the covenant so that we can again go home. Let's not fall prey, sisters, to Imahava's sin, where she blamed the serpent. Let's, let's, let's provoke our husbands, our men, to, to man up when they, you know, the tendency is for them, some men, to basically throw the woman under the bus and blame us for everything that's going on. We need to um, take on the attributes of that woman of valor. And in every sense of the word, as Haruach leads us, we need to take hold of, of the Tanakh, of the Torah. We need to strive to live after the basic foundational teachings of Titus 2 and 1 Peter 3. These are our roles. We need to strive against the tendencies of Isaiah 3. We need to fall on the rock every day so that the rock, Yeshua, does not fall on us. We need to get in step, sisters. We have so much still to do and so little, little time to do it. Our, our mandate is spiritual first, but it's also very physical, very physical. We need to encourage one another while it's still called today. We need to admonish and encourage one another to live rigidly righteous as Ezra called Elohim and as he expects all of his children to be. We need to purge ourselves of Balaam. We need to purge ourselves of Jezebel, of Babylon, and every rebellious, lustful, frolicking demon, if I can say that. Sisters, it's time to grow up. It's time for us to roll up our sleeves. It's time for us to get our hands dirty and be Israel. Shalom.